downloading the Cloydcast, a child-led podcast brought to you by Cloyd Primary School. everybody and welcome back to this week's The Cloyd Cast. And this week presenting we have Nancy, um year six people. Jay, year five people. Thank you. And this is both your first podcast, isn't it? Yeah. So, welcome. And we've got some very special guests, they're very important guests. So I'm gonna let you introduce yourself so I don't get anything wrong. Okay, my name's Leslie, I'm a paramedic with the Welsh Ambulance Service. And my name's Aaron. I am an urgent care. Uh, sorry, uh, I work <laughs> the urgent care service as part of the Welsh Hamlet service. Thank you very much. So I'm going to hand over to you guys now to ask some questions and get lots of important information. Okay. Okay. Should I start? Yeah. Okay. Tell us about yourselves. Okay. Um, I've been working for the ambulance service in uh, Wales for eight years. I started as an urgent care assistant, um, then I became a technician, and then we have the opportunity of training to become paramedics by attending uni uh, as technicians, and I became a paramedic just two and a half years ago. Yeah, and similar to Leslie, I have uh, I joined the service a year ago, and I'm at the start of my career where Leslie started as, a, uh, as part of that urgent care service. Um, and hopefully um, they'll be progressing along the, the same lines as Leslie has. How pressurised pressurised is it at the, mo- at the moment? Wait time, limited for the ethic? Ethic. Sorry, Jay's been drafted on last minute to read these questions. <laughs> so, how pressurised is it at the moment with wait times and, you know, you've got a limited fleet? Um, so, yeah, how pressurised is your job? We've, we've all seen the news and, unfortunately, we, we do have a lot of ambulances that are tied up outside of the hospital. Um, that's not going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. There's, there's things that come into that that myself and Leslie won't even get to see. Um, Hospitals are have limited capacity as it is, um, and then if you cannot get those patients home, if if there's no social care set up in the background, unfortunately, there's no safe way for them to get home, which then obviously has a backlog all the way to the point where we're at the A and E doors waiting um, for those guys to be taken in and seen. Um, there is a limited amount of ambulances um, available. If, if they're stuck outside uh, a hospital, for instance, there's, there's, unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do either. Um, those sort of limited fleet um, and that availability doesn't change no matter whether we're stuck outside uh, a hospital or whether we're out in the community. Uh, that is the number of vehicles that are available. And unfortunately, the way things are at the minute, a lot of people, unless it is very much an emergency, you could be waiting for quite a few hours before we, we end up getting two guys, which we both understand the frustration. It's frustrating for us just as it is for um, people at the end of the phone who are needing that help. Um, so how many are there? Because when you came in to so work with us, we have um, I think it's 300 ambulances across Wales. Um, we've got 70 stations. Um, but at the same time, I think the, let me just check the statistics for how many calls we get in. 
I think in, in a year we're getting like 450,000 calls. Um, so how many islands is it for South Wales? South Wales, I would say there's roughly, um, there's five stations in um, Swansea based um, and we've probably got a few UCS on as well, so perhaps seven at most in a, in a day, uh, covering, covering the whole of Swansea locality. So when we get stuck at hospital and you've seen in the news where there's perhaps 16 trucks there, um, that seven is swallowed up very quickly yeah. um, and the wait times for patients gets longer and longer at scene because they have to draft in resources from outside of area to, to come leaving the outside areas vulnerable then um, yeah. as well. Um, it's, a, it's an ongoing problem in terms of the hospitals, they are trying their best, they've got bed managers, they've appointed flow managers to try and get movement of beds because that's what we're ultimately waiting for is, is beds. Um, yeah, it's a chain, isn't it? It's a chain. And they have brought out, I think it was only last week, like an eight-hour um, sort of thing now where if somebody's been outside for eight hours on an ambulance, they're under pressure to get that patient in as soon as right. possible. It doesn't necessarily mean they've got more beds, mm. but they're putting plus ones, plus twos in areas where they, you know, they shouldn't really be putting them. So it's, it's an ongoing problem. Yeah. And in a shift of twelve hours, we can we can sometimes do one job and pass the patient back to the night crew oh as well. So it it, it is demoralising for us because obviously we want to get the patients yeah. on scene as fast as we can, and we understand that patients you know we don't we don't get too much aggression from it, but it's unfair when an old lady's on the floor yeah. for nine hours waiting for you. And it, it does impact care as well because we we have to take patients up who've been on the floor for a long time in for bloods because they've been on the floor for so long waiting for us to come. So it, it does have an impact on patient care. But, you know, yeah. with winter delays now as well, um, don't think there's much more funding to be thrown at the problem and there's there's no sort of, um, you know, solution at present. Yeah. Um, so it is an ongoing issue for us. How do you know when to ring an ambulance? Okay, so, so when we came to the school back in October, for Shocktober, we, we had a, a chat with the children in the class about, you know, when to ring for an ambulance. This is a, a problem for us. Um, we get 450,000 um, calls a year in the Welsh Ambulance Service, and a fifth of that is probably non-urgent stuff that can be dealt with elsewhere, so it's, it's a big amount, really. We, we had a chat with the kids, we tried to educate them on, you know, different scenarios, different case studies of big sick and little sick, and we're hoping that education will roll out to, to the parents as well. Um, it's recognising when you need an ambulance, when you need to ring 999, or when you can just go through your GP. Mm. There's various avenues out there for you to go to the pharmacy, to, to seek help at pharmacy if you've got colds or coughs. Um, one 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 service. We're we're investing heavily in our one 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 service. It's brilliant, that is, to be fair. And yeah. you know, if there are nurses and clinicians on the phones to to give you advice on where to go with things. Um, and you know, your own GP. Um, I understand that they have their own pressures, and it's difficult to get a GP appointment. But it's recognizing when mm. when we're needed and when we're not. And we're not a taxi service. You know, we're there to. We're all trained clinicians who are there to, to provide medical care. So if we come in and we don't have to give medical care and we're just being utilised as a taxi up to hospital, that's, that is a waste of our resources. Um, people do think we, they may get in quicker if they, they're put in an ambulance and taken to hospital. That's not the case. Um, we have lots of pathways. 
it's unfortunate when we go to jobs and we're going to ring that patient's GP for the GP to deal with them because that's a waste of our time yeah. when phone calls could have gone in from the patient themselves or the carers or, or uh, family. Um, we also have taxi initiatives we can employ. So if we go to somebody and we feel they don't need any ambulance care en route, we can ring a taxi and put the patient in a taxi mm. under certain criteria. And we have a fit-to-sit policy as well. So if we, we have to transport somebody but they, they're suitable for the waiting room, we have we can make that decision and they'll go in the waiting room and they'll be seen oh, right. from there. So we, we can implement that. Um, it's, it doesn't mean that you're seen any quicker on an ambulance. If Even if you go in the waiting room, you're still in a queue. All those people are still waiting for care in that hospital at the end of the day and they've got limited doctors. Um, the fact they're in an ambulance sometimes means they've got a carer looking after them, yeah. so they might not be a priority because they can be left with a small yeah. litter in them. So it doesn't make a difference to your, your seen time by a doctor. And you, I, you were saying something that um, stuck with me from the talk was that if you can get there yourself, so if anyone can take you, if you can get a taxi, just get to where you need yourself, then yeah. that, you know, that's yeah, it's, it's right to consider. It's obviously recognising what, what's wrong with a patient. Um, you know, if it's something that can be seen by a GP, it's identifying that. And people are sensible enough to make those decisions. You know, it, it's unfortunate when they call us in to make those decisions for them when it's quite clear cut, you could have run a GP for it and got help that way. Um, but, you know, obviously if they're having sort of a convulsion or they're unconscious, yeah. life-threatening occasions, we have to come in and, and we recognise that and that's what our role is. Um, yeah. So what would you say are the definite signs to ring an ambulance? Um, I would say obviously cardiac arrest yeah. Is, yeah. is probably the, the most life-threatening job that yeah. we would go to um, convulsions if it's new convulsions and it's not somebody like who's a epileptic seizure, like a seizure yeah. um, somebody who's not known to have seizures or um, you know has not come round from it properly uh, less alert um, an ob- obvious head trauma Oh, yeah. any um, trauma really isn't it yeah I think the, if, like loss of blood is it? yeah something like that or, or maybe even uh, a change in consciousness level um, for someone who's got a reduced consciousness level mm-hmm. um, in comparison to someone who is completely alert um, we get that there's times where someone who is alert uh, may still be very much injured Um and obviously sometimes when you get there, they are more poorly than they initially presented. Um, but yeah, I'd, I think strokes, strokes is another one that's obviously life, you know, life threatening or life debilitating. So that would be something an ambulance would be required for. And obviously if somebody's um, septic really, sepsis mm. is the big thing they're pushing yeah. now. We, we, you know, we are required for sepsis patients. Um, but you know, if you think you've got the means of getting yourself to hospital, um, whether you get a family member to take you or a taxi, um, then I, I can't see why you can't you yeah. know get yourself there you, you know without without the use of an ambulance really. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the the jobs, even even the ones that are potentially life threatening, we may still be struggling to get to you guys on time. Um, we do have targets hit and unfortunately we we tend not to hit a lot of those targets um and that is unfortunately just the pressures on the service and the the wider sort of um teams that are involved um when you do have 
something that you need an ambulance for. Uh, quite often the guys who are at the end of the phones from our 999 call handling side, quite often they'll tell you uh, if you're going to be looking at a long wait and if you know that it is going to be a long wait and that is not a life-threatening emergency, I would seriously um, try and extort every option that you can um, in Ghent Hospital. Uh, because by the time that we get to you, we could be six, seven, eight hours, maybe more. And then by the time we, that we actually get to the hospital, that could be nine, ten hours. Whereas if you guys can get to the hospital, um, that treatment may be even quicker mm -hmm. than what it would yeah, via so an ambulance. Yeah, they recognise you urgent. They could prioritise you then. In yeah, the of course. Um, even the guys coming on to you um, with blue lights and sirens, sometimes by the time that you get into a car and get up to hospital, you, you will still be there before that ambulance mm -hmm. even gets to you on those blue lights. Yeah. How important is first aid? Um, so, obviously, we've tried to teach the children during Shocktober signs to look out for. Um, first aid's really important. Um, if somebody's not breathing, then obviously a 999 call's essential to us. Uh, if you can't find a pulse, um, and they are our life-threatening threatening calls, and we can do something about that, and we, we have targets of eight minutes to get there, and we, we try our best, and we, we mainly get to those because we have cars as well that will get to them who aren't stuck outside hospital. Um, any sort of serious bleeding is really important because obviously that patient is losing blood. If you can stem the blood flow by pressure, that's really important as well. Um, anybody unconscious, you know, it's, it's identifying the, the need to call 999 on those occasions. Um, first aid can be done by anybody, really. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be a trained clinician to, to learn about first aid and to, to know what to do in these scenarios. Um, we taught the, the, taught the children in October uh, about recovery positions um, where patients are vomiting. And that can just be as important as anything else to stop somebody choking. Um, it's just identifying really minimal things that you can do yeah. to, to assist us really till we can get to you. Uh, but it, it's, it's really important for life-saving really, a lot of these, these, these jobs. And you don't need to be paramedics to do these basic things. Can I just ask a question that um, is not down? <laughs> Uh, what's it like when your foot's down and you're whizzing through all the cars <laughs> with your blue lights on? It's like parting the sea. <laughs> um, it's a nice feeling. I mean, we, we, people think that we can go any speed we can't. We, that's not the case. We're trained, really. Our guidance with um, our driving um, oh, you do, Yeah, do training. you have special training? To... Yeah, so we, we do. Uh, I'm not sure what it's currently, is it? C-Rad. So what's the time limit, is it? How many weeks? I did two. So four, four weeks. Uh, so I did two weeks when I qualified, which was eight years ago. Um, I did a week where they, they basically take you back to basics and teach you how to drive. Yeah. They, they get you driving and they criticise you driving and they teach you how to drive again. And then the second week you spent blue lights then, yeah. and you, you got the breath and beacon mountains and learn how to overtake oh, on the, the mountain gosh, roads. Yeah. But our guidance is that we don't really go over the limits of 20 miles an hour over the national over the speed yeah. limit of that road um so we all get a it bit would be of... harder to go faster than that wouldn't i think wouldn't it? yeah the cars on the road. yeah it, it would um part of our training we taught red mist 
it, it is a big factor in our job mm. if you go into like a pediatric job and it, you know it's a life-threatening job oh my gosh i can't even imagine yeah. we can we, we we're taught about red mist and not sort of you know doing unsafe things really because yeah. the the job has got in, in your head um so but it is a nice feeling yeah that's so traffic. true i never thought of that because if you're going to something you know time is really precious oh my gosh i get road rage enough without having <laughs> we're all human and if yeah. we see the job as a pediatric and you know uh, it's life-threatening and it, we, we're told that information before we leave um when, when the job comes through we all can react yeah you know in a human way and, and yeah. forget things but you know that that would be more sort of sensible to do but we're taught about it and we're yeah. taught how to curb red mist we're taught how to do uh, bends and corners and um, yeah. we have to learn paragraphs really of of information that um, we understand how to drive into certain circumstances yeah. i don't know if you had the same on your training but we we did skid training as well um we went down Pem- pembrey oh yeah in a skid car they they put it you drive it and they put it into a spit into a spin um, and then you've got to control the skin. That's quite fun. Um, <laughs> and we did also do um, off-road. Did you do off-road in the Discovery vehicle? No, I did um, a previous. Yeah, so we, we, we taught how to take a, a Discovery vehicle off-road, really. And, yeah. And do sort of... Because we, we do get cold anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Wales, you've got yeah. all sorts yeah. of terrain. Something just as simple as... Um, someone with a broken leg on a football pitch. Mm-hmm. Do you mean a, a football pitch can present quite a lot of um, challenges? Because um, once you're stuck, it, yeah. there's very few ways of getting you unstuck. Yeah. Um, and the greenkeeper comes chasing you. Yeah. Over his yeah. fresh uh, football <laughs> yeah. pitch as yeah. well. Um, Who's the next one? Um, what made you want to help other people and follow this career path? Yeah, so I've... <laughs> Although I've been in the ambulance service for a year, I worked a part of, I've been in Swansea Ambulance Station with the NHS for, for six years and it's something I've always wanted to do, um, seeing the guys drive out, um, go into these emergency calls, um, that's probably the wrong word to use, but seeing that sort of, um, that buzz that people get when they know that they've got that important job to do. Um, because at, at the end of the day, when you when you go to that job, that's when you've got to be calm. But you know, when you're walking out the door to that ambulance and you see the guys going outside, um, it's it's such a nice feeling to see that we're going out there to help people, um, especially in their time of need. Um, yeah, it's like heroic, isn't it? It is the feeling of, you know, <laughs> you are going there. It is, it is isn't it? They and, are like our NHS heroes in COVID, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. And, and there is only a limited thing that we can do um, on scene, um, but even just providing that sort of emergency care straight away, um, if that can help save someone's life, um, there's no better feeling than that. I think mm-hmm. you probably agree with me, Les. Yeah, we, we're not as heroic as um, the helicopter medics no. that come and save us as well, because we, you know, we go to things that we can't deal with, and we have other higher clinicians, senior clinicians we can call upon. Um, they fly in, and they're the real heroes, I believe. But, yeah. Um, yeah, for myself, I got into the job. I've done a different career prior to this. I worked for the council for um, 10 years uh, in an office, and um, I just decided I wanted to be out of the office doing something different. And 
the best thing I think about this job for me is that you you're out with your colleague for twelve hours a day. Um, there's just the two of you really on the track. You're not watched over by sort of um managers apart from control who who give you the jobs. You don't know what you're going to. Um, you get the job and you get the information. Yeah, no you same. go, so no, no days the same. Um, so it's got some level of excitement, I suppose, because oh, yeah, you yeah. don't know what's coming in next. Um, yeah, it's not mundane. Anything. But it's mundane, not mundane. No. Um, I can't say I see myself as a hero. Really, I'm not that 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 way inclined. No. But uh, I think that you know. It's nothing better, really. You've got the, the mix of driving skills, um, the mix of clinical skills, mm. and then you've got the mix of pathways to decide how to, to treat or how, how, what, how to get that patient help, really. And, and Anyone who can save a life, hero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always save them, unfortunately, but we do try, don't we? Yeah. So, yeah. I think a big part of our jobs is navigating people down the right paths now. Um, and educate yeah yeah it's it's not so much about us i was probably taught exactly the same thing in when the the guys used to come into my school and teach us all about the importance of cpr and early defibrillation um it's just making sure that it's known um by by all walks of life um doesn't matter whether you you come from um a very fortunate background or, or or not so fortunate background um, in that time of an emergency you are still a human being and no matter where you come from you still need that emergency care um, so again as Leslie said it's it's navigating where we can go as well as sort of providing that emergency care to the guys and helping people at the end of the day and, and this career path, um, you know, there's lots of avenues as well, which, which is useful. As, we, as we've already mentioned, we've got urgent care service, we've got technicians, we've got paramedics. You can step up to more senior clinicians. Then we have uh, CHARO, which are paramedics on a car, which solely respond. Um, we have specialist paramedics with extra um, drugs, extra equipment that can come and support us in uh, cardiac arrests and uh, more sort of life-threatening jobs. And then we have um, emotes, which are the helicopters, which we can also call in and help us as well. Um, we also have advanced uh, practitioners, which we can contact on the phone for advice, really. And they, they, they're quite good in their own right because they will triage calls for us yeah. and talk to people and try and get the people shifted to the right routes uh, where an ambulance isn't needed. Yeah. They'll give them advice on where to go. So... You could start the career off as a um, CFR, uh, which is like a, a community first responder. Um, so you can come and do it voluntary and you get a level of training from the Welsh Ambulance Service. They're always looking for um, new CFRs and you can respond uh, to jobs um, and you can go as, sort of get first resource really and get there before an ambulance and, and deal with it. So there's, there's plenty of scope for people to come in and, and see if they enjoy the job. Um, and there's plenty of scope for you to progress. Yeah. And, um, that's one thing I will say since being in the ambulance service. In eight years, I've progressed quite quickly up, up through the ranks. There's always the opportunity. Um, and I think that, you know, if people are interested, then it's, it's a really rewarding career. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. Right, okay. Well, that's the interview part done. So now we want to know, are you smarter than a ten-year-old? Oh, Jay is, Jay is awake, isn't he? Um, who's going to start then? Uh, did she start last time? Not sure. 
What is the name of the lion in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? It's a long time since I read that book. <laughs> Any idea? I think you're going to beat this on that one. I haven't read that book since uh, school. I do know it. Aslan. What is the capital city of Portugal? I think it's Lisbon. Yeah. How many sides does a hexagon have? Hexagon. It's gonna have. Don't get a shape one wrong. Six, yeah, six. go with six. Is that the right answer? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you full yeah. <laughs> How many teeth should an adult have, including wisdom teeth? Mm-hmm. We're not dentists, <laughs> so we, we don't do much with dental, uh, dental pain, really, do we? Covering the answers. Um, <laughs> 32. Can't we go with your answer? Yeah. Well, 32. 16. Well done. And then uh, this is a joke to finish, so we can do a joke. What is the coldest country? The what? Coolest? No, the coldest. Coldest country. Oh, sometimes it feels like Wales, but um, <laughs> I'd probably... It's a joke, this one really Iceland, not Iceland, I would go for it uh, because it's... Yeah, I really want to get it wrong so I can do my wrong thing. <laughs> right, so I'll go, go for Australia then. I'm giving you the wrong thing. So what do you get? Um, I'll go Greenland. It was chilly. Right, thank you so much, guys. Lots of important information there that um, hopefully yeah. we can get out and you know share when to call an ambulance um, and possibly help you know the, the pressure you guys are under. But thank you so much for all you do. We really appreciate it. The service is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so thank you so much. What should we say, guys? Thank, thank you. you. And for us. hopefully we'll see you next time on the Clydecast.